welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm back again here with James. Good to have you, James. Uh, I'm glad to be here, Brad. Can't think of anywhere else I'd rather be on this Friday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, after our last podcast about contextualization, we got talking and we said, oh, we didn't talk about this issue and oh, we should, boy, it'd be interesting to talk about this issue. So we decided to do kind of a part two to our contextualization discussion and and it may may not be quite as long, but it hit some of these key, a little more, let's get in the nitty gritty on some of these things, talk about some specific issues, like what term to use for God and things like that. So Yeah, well, let's, yeah, let's jump in there. Okay. What term do you use for God? <laughs> I use God. <laughs> no. Um, that is, so, just, yeah, just kind of lining out some of the, particularly for Muslims, the controversy, though it's, it's also an issue in non-Muslim groups, yeah. as you have had experience. Um, but one of the first things you have to figure out is, what are we going to call God? And of course, we're all familiar with the Arabic term Allah for God. Um, you know, it's hard to remove that term from being associated with Islam. So I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that. Um, actually, in the context that I worked in, there were some people that said Allah, and then there was another Persian word, uh, Khuda, that was used as well. And so, you know, when you translate the Bible and you have the word God in there, you know, the, the Hebrew or Greek version of that, um, what do you put in there? And so my, so it, it was particularly relevant in our case because some people you would talk to, they would use one or, or the other. And I kind of developed uh, a philosophy of, I'm just going to go with what term they seem to use for God. If that's Allah, that's that's fine, in my opinion, because... You know, we might say, well, if you say Allah, then they're going to think about, you know, a Muslim God and a Muslim, all these Muslim things that we wouldn't agree with. Well, if you think about in America, you start sharing the gospel with someone and they're saying God and you're saying God, <laughs> you don't have the same understanding completely of yeah. God. Oh my God. Right. But there's enough overlap that it's a place to begin. You wouldn't want to say, well, I, when you're saying God, you don't, you're probably not thinking of all the correct theology about God. So why don't we come up with this other term? Like, let's just say Jehovah from now on, you know, just, I think that's probably unnecessary. And it's the same thing, I think, in these Muslim contexts of, Yes, you don't have complete uh, similarities in understanding of God, but you can begin there so that you're not, there's not this battle over terms. I would rather spend my time on defining God's characteristics and what he says in his word than over battling that terminology. So I would sometimes use that, or if they were using a different word, chuda, something like that, I would just say, great, let's go with the term that you seem comfortable with and just build understanding from there. Others didn't feel that way, so I think some people felt more uncomfortable with Allah because of the Muslim association. But how much how much of that was uh, coming from the missionaries through the missionaries, and how much of that was inside the local culture itself? The conflict. Um, I think when people would come to faith, actually, local believers would often have the same. Um, dilemma it was both for missionaries so to speak and the local local believers because it's kind of like if you grew if your story was you were partying and getting drunk all the time and then you come to faith and someone's like hey we're going to go to this bar and share the gospel you might have a pretty strong reaction to that because of your it's kind of the same thing a lot of them came to faith because they were um turned off by some elements of islam the sort of legalism and the ritualism and so to then try to incorporate similar terms and stuff, it's, it's hard for them. I think they, a lot of local believers felt a little uncomfortable. So they wanted something to, different from that. 
Okay, gotcha. See, in, you know, my context was Buddhist, which you would think, you know, like, you know, there's, anyway, the, the whole thing is that they didn't really have a word for God. Um, they had a, a word, sometimes they referred to like the worship, the big blue sky, the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was another word, uh, and it had Buddhist connotations, as Burhan. And, uh, it wound up that wound up being what the, what we felt like. And I, I came into the game late, like that had more or less been settled. I think, um, that that's what the local believers felt like. And there was that kind of thing of people say like, well, you know, they'll get confused with Burhan that's in Buddhism and they'd say, yeah, but when we talk about it, 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 mm-hmm. it fits it out. And there was a small minority, uh, that were real, real, uh, adamant you know like if you use borhan you were not you were not a believer period you know mm-hmm. um but i talked with a guy who is he was kind of the chief he was a korean man uh wonderful guy and uh he was telling me the problems like if you tried to if you tried to use this word that they had manufactured and then you try to translate it into the bible it just created all these problems because of conjugations or what about when you say when it, just because the bible calls god lots of different names you know like re- addresses him in different ways or with different honorifics it was it was kind of contentious contentious but it seemed to me that in my context it came more from westerners who had a real strong axe and i think i was like you i linguistically i wasn't strong enough to to know anyway and i was i was real clear on who jesus was and uh yeah, I have to imagine in, in that kind of Buddhist context or non-monotheistic context, it's even more complicated because there isn't, you know, with, with Allah, some of these terms, there's a fair bit of overlap in, in, even though it's not completely overlapping, but in understanding, but boy, you're starting from no concept of this all, you know, this creator God who's the God. And so, yeah, that's, that's challenging. You met, you mentioned honorifics. That's another thing that I think is it was also a tricky because you know in in America we just say Jesus you know we're talking and and there's no confusion as who you mean but in the cultures a lot of these cultures Jesus may be the name of your neighbor you know it's it's a it's a name kind of like you know uh, in Hispanic cultures they call someone Jesus that's that's not uncommon well same thing in these Muslim cultures and so that coupled with the fact that when you talk about someone and you want to be respectful, you put an honorific on their name. So it may be, if you're talking about a, a you know human being, you might say older brother or you know even mister or honorable, but something like that, you wouldn't just say their name directly. Yeah. Almost because so, it'd be disrespectful, I assume. Right, you're just you're adding honor. It's a part of our culture. We, we used to have it some in our culture, you know, if you go back 100, 200 years ago, where it was important to say mister and sir and all these kind of things. We've kind of lost it mostly. And so trying to figure out which honorifics to put with Jesus was very challenging. So what, are, what were the options? Well, so you have the existing uh, Islamic ones uh, that are, come, again, come from Arabic. Alay uh, salam was, was the term that was used. So you would say, you know, Jesus, alay salam, or Isa, alay salam. And uh, the term itself means, you know, may he be blessed. And so... Uh, you know, this it, it's not inappropriate, but that some people would say, well, it's kind of used when someone has passed away. 
And so, of course, we believe Jesus is still alive. Now, the local people, the Muslims where I lived, they had no idea that that's what had any context <laughs> with someone passing away. Uh-huh. But technically, is if you that... go back to its origins, mm-hmm. that's where it's used. So some people felt like, well, you know, uh, let's come up with something else. Is that, real quick, is that what they would refer to um, Muhammad? Is that what they would right. like? I've only heard it really in English. Peace be upon and may uh-huh. be blessed. Something like uh-huh. that. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so when you hear people speaking in English and they say that, you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, or you know, something similar to that, however it's translated, um, that's where that's coming from. They're, they're translating an honorific for him. So some people came, we came up with this, uh, or not we, we, people came up with this idea of kind of translating the term Messiah as an honorific Jesus. So yeah, it's a Messiah was the term. Um, but it was, again, it was, was not known. So when you would say it's a Messiah, people would be, they weren't really quite sure. So then you had to do a lot of explanation where you said Asa al-Islam, they knew exactly who you were talking about. Uh, okay. But but they had then they're thinking the that he's just one he... of the prophets. Uh-huh. And so it was a little bit, it was kind of navigating that was tricky. The, the other thing, this is kind of a side note, but there in the language that I was learning, there's a term to be drunk that sounded very similar to messy. <laughs> and so if you weren't careful, you would sound like you were saying Jesus the drunkard, which obviously uh-huh. we didn't want to communicate. Yeah. Although ironically, some people said that in the Bible. That's true. That was one of the claims <laughs> against him, wasn't it? So... Um, you, you know, again, I, I'm kind of one that say, let's start with clarity of understanding and build from there. So I would, I did not have problems using that alay salam to, for Jesus. Just so now we know, okay, you understand who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about my neighbor, Isa. Mm-hmm. I'm not and talking they, about Isa the drunkard. Uh-huh. This is, and then say, you know, here's some things that we believe about him and kind of build from uh-huh. there. And did they, are, like, are there really people named Jesus or Isa? Like if I go across the Middle East or your, your mm-hmm. there was. Sure, it's not an uncommon, because they, you know, they use yeah. a lot of um, prophets' uh-huh. Almost names. Almost like David, Abraham. Yeah, and Dawood and Muhammad and uh-huh. Ibrahim, all these kind of uh-huh. uh, prophet names are very common. Somehow that never, never occurred to me mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's that I would run into that name in that. Like, I'm really only con- only familiar in, in Spanish. That's like the only yeah the only place I'm used to running into it. I mean, just like it makes sense because you you know here you go yeah. you, you have a lot of Muslims that have Muhammad Muhammad Ali these kind of names that so mm-hmm. they're culturally we've decided that there, there's only one person that can be called that, but culturally they've decided hey this is an honorable wonderful person so let's we'll name people after them. Yeah. That's just kind of a cultural difference. Yeah, and if you think he's a prophet, then it. Makes sense, just like we name our kids mm-hmm. after prophets. Right. We All of them except for one. We don't do <laughs> yeah, Jesus in our culture. But, That's right. And I don't guess there's anything that says you couldn't. I, I would certainly feel a little weird about that personally, uh-huh. but yeah. that's probably just a cultural difference. Yeah. And so is Isa Allah Messiah, because I've heard that, is that the same as what you were saying? Yeah, Almost Jesus the Messiah. That's uh-huh. an Arabic phrase. Mm-hmm. How? Do but you they, know? Don't, they don't really know. Even though actually the Quran does use that term Messiah, uh, uh-huh. Messiah, they're not very familiar with it, so you have to help them to get some understanding. Like, that who was, is that? That was one of the things I'd always wondered: is like, how? What does a Muslim person say? Let's say one that's uh, that knows that term, knows it's in the Quran. What do they say about Jesus? Like, like why? Are, why do we call him the Messiah? What do they think he's the Messiah of? Or, or is that like an honorific that you just kind of like you said, sir, and like you just blurred by it? And you, mm-hmm. Like, what do they think about that? Or how do they? 
you know, again, I'm, I'm working from a limited perspective. I worked with one people group and then have some vague familiarity with other Muslim groups. I didn't meet many Muslims that this idea of Messiah was something they were real familiar with. They would certainly profit was what they, the term, some version of that that they would use. I understand he's one of many, the final one being Muhammad. And so there were some unique things about uh, Jesus that, that many Muslims knew or understood, and that was his important role in the end times, him coming back. That is a part of, uh, you know, in the last days that he has some kind of unique role. And that's found in the Quran, and obviously we would believe that too, even more so. And so there were some things like that you could build on, but the messiahship thing, that was pretty new to anyone I ever talked to. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. But you could, if you know, if you've wanted to, you could even point to it in the Quran and say, here's this term as a, a sort of food for thought, thought. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed a guy, listened to a guy named Carl Medeiros who worked a lot in the Middle East and wrote some books. And um, it really made me want to like work with Muslims because he would, he would talk about basically like just the just bringing up Jesus and, and, and he found a lot of them had like a lot of fascination with him, even though they didn't have much knowledge of him. And it was, uh, in some ways maybe jealous because my Buddhists didn't really have any, <laughs> they didn't really want to talk about him and they didn't have any, any concept for him either. Yeah. You at least start with, there's uh, a veneration of Jesus that you can kind of build on that common ground though. Certainly mm -hmm. the, well, this, this probably gets to the, the, the most controversial issue uh, in terms of terminology, and that's the son of God issue. So that, I think that's where, you know, you start with some common ground, but you start getting to Jesus as God, son of God, any of these kind of things, that's where you very quickly divide with Muslims. Okay. How did you deal with that? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, some people, again, you hit, you hit extremes. Some people would just use it, I think almost because they knew some of these C5 type people were trying oh. to avoid son of God and let's, so let's get that out of the translations and things like that. Oh. Uh -huh. They would just use it very, uh, almost intentionally or freely. And, and I think the problem with that is that uh, to use it without explanation, you're going to cause misunderstanding. And so when, when Muslims hear son of God, they're thinking this is a biological description that God and Mary you know, had some kind of affair, had some kind of almost like a Greek, up, so almost like a Greek god, right? Like Greek Greek mythology, um, and had a biological child who was in Jesus. That's what they think we we believe, which obviously we don't believe that. And so to use it, you're kind of without any explanation. You're just sort of weirding them out without understanding. Well, no, we don't believe that God would ever have a relationship with a woman. That's so. This is a spiritual understanding of of how Jesus and God. This term that's used, and so. But on the other hand, um, it's a biblical term. The Bible uses it. I mean, you can't read the, the Gospels with someone without encountering this term. Uh, now, son of man, some of these other terms are used a lot as well, but you can't avoid son of God. And so I, I think you, it's not something you want to come charging out of the gate, right, at the beginning mm -hmm. of talking with somebody. Mm -hmm. But uh, eventually, if you're going to read the Bible together, you've got to address it. And what does it mean? What does it not mean? Yeah. Um, do we believe, are we monotheists or do we have three gods? And then some of these other things, um, that one's even maybe trickier <laughs> because yeah. yes and no. Of course, we believe that there's only one true God, uh, but the Trinity concept, it, it's hard yeah. for me to understand, yeah. let alone explain. So I, I do think um, I would begin with 
terms like that the the messiahship of Jesus try to explain some of these things his the power of him his you know the important role that he's given in the Bible and then build from there to okay well we're gonna you're gonna see this term son of God here's what it means this is why uh-huh. it's used this is uh, explains this relationship which was challenging but you think you've got to go there this yeah. is not a biological term uh-huh. God didn't biolog- have a biological child but he spiritually this is a way to understand the relationship. And so things like that. Um, so that maybe makes, I struck a middle ground a little bit. Yeah, that makes me think. I got to go do this uh, training in Nepal for one week, and I was doing a story cloth with them. Uh, and the story cloth that I used had originally come out of Africa, and it starts with the the fall of Satan, um, and then it goes to the Garden of Eden, and then you know runs chronological. Uh, down through the resurrection. And so I, I told him and I taught him. And, and first thing real interesting, this is another discussion for another day, but of this group of all, all believers, all been believers at least two, three years, they're here in a discipleship school. There was one guy, I think there, who's like 50. He was the only old guy. He was the only one that knew any story from the Old Testament besides the creation story. They didn't know any of them. So they like, you know, they put in overtime, extra homework, and learned these stories, which was great. Um, really great. But when I was talking with one of them afterwards, like, what'd you think? And he said, oh, it's really good, but I won't ever lead with that first story because it, as soon as I do, every Hindu person will know that I'm, I'm saying that all of their gods are demons, mm. you know, and I'll save that for later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I can, I can see why. There is timing. There's timing. You have to be careful. You have to, okay, there's timing and then there's pleasing people or accommodating. Yeah. You got to be careful not to stray yeah. there. But it's like anything, you know, the first conversation you have with someone here in America, you're, you're probably not going to come charging out of the gate on something that's real sensitive or, you know, you want to build a little common ground. I think that's appropriate. Yeah, it is. Um, and you do have to address it. And that's where like, uh, we are talking about C5s earlier, they don't want son of God in the translation. I feel like to me that's a pretty clear line that you've went yeah. you've went too far. Like, like God made it, and he and that's how he that's how he put his his word together. And I mm-hmm. believe it's I believe it's how he intended. Yeah, um, that familial language is used. I don't think there's mm-hmm. any way to appropriately translate without it. Yeah. So you just have that's where explanation comes in, and in good. Mm-hmm. That's why we. It's why I would tell the people that would come work with us learn the language really well, so you can be someone that gets helps people get beyond these misconceptions. Yeah. You, you got to be able to explain. Yeah, and some of I think what we're also talking uh, with contextualization, you uh, you can't just have a one-off evangelism um, because it takes more than that and, and it needs a relationship. And that's not to say if you have an opportunity to share with someone, don't share because you only have this one opportunity. I'm not saying that. But what we're really looking to do is hopefully get into relationships with people and share through that relationship. And that helps cut through these contextual problems yeah what other uh what other things do you have on your list there of things we forgot to contextualize properly on the previous episode <laughs> well um yeah of course the son the son of god was definitely a, a big one and um i think the other thing is just translating of resources is a big contextualization so we have things that we beloved things like for example more than a carpenter and you've mm-hmm. ever read this mm-hmm. book, um, that was pretty meaningful to me as I came to the faith. 
And so when we go overseas, we have these things, these English things that we're like, man, if only we could get more than a carpenter into Arabic and get people reading that. And I think that, um, or purpose-driven life, you know, all these things that, uh, I think if we're really just gut honest, sometimes it's like, wouldn't it be, uh, well, let's get, let's get this into one more language. There's sort of like this, um, yeah. translated, like, in translated into 16 languages. Uh, and so a lot of times what happens is they'll, people would come and they would hire a, a local person to translate it. And there wasn't a lot of regard for worldview. It was just like, this is what it says in English. This is what it's now going to say in whatever language. And I think that's a mistake. I think you really have to, to contextualize materials you really have to have someone that understands the worldview and put some time into it. And so I would see people just, you know, they'd plop down hundreds of dollars, get those things translated, and it would just sit in my basement because I didn't want to give it out because I knew it wasn't attainable worldview-wise. And and the language that was used was, you know, these transliterations of, of funny uh, American things like, hey, when you go to, when the worship band is playing, are you... What are you thinking? And they're just like, what yeah. is a worship band? I don't have any idea. Yeah. Are you getting involved with your HOA? Right. So that, I think that's a, a key part of it is this sort of resources and things like that. Um, yeah, those are, that, there's another thing at the holidays. Um, you know, did y'all, so did you celebrate Eid, Ramadan? How did you? We would uh, participate in the sense of, you know, obviously I wasn't going to, the mosque and uh, we we didn't also tend to uh, fast during Ramadan things like that I think you could I think that's certainly we fast I think that's allowable um, we that we just didn't tend to participate in that sense but at the end what the best part was at the end of it everyone goes and visits houses and uh. you come and have meals and you go to the next person and you eat a little bit and so we felt very comfortable participating in that and connecting with our neighbors um, there's also sort of the, the, shep, the sacrificing a sheep was a part of one of them. And so, and your whole family gets together and you all do this. Now, the understanding behind it, it it's sort of, um, there is a, a, a an understanding that would go against biblical teaching that somehow sin is being transferred to this sheep as you. And now, whether people are really thinking about that, probably not. It's just a tradition. But technically, that is what they're doing. And so for new believers in that culture, they're like, goodness, I don't, I don't know that I feel good about that. So can I, could I, my whole family's doing it. Should I just not go hang out with my family? Should I just lock the door and, and hide on that festival? What should I do? Some people started thinking, could I do this in a way that like, hey, this is a demonstration. Just like Jesus took our sins, we're going to sacrifice a sheep as a way to remember that. Could you do it that way? Yeah, I think there's probably a way you could pull that off and and, and be okay. So it, it gets tricky because a lot of these cultures, we, we have a very secular culture, right? We have uh, removed religion from a lot of life. Yeah, but that's not the religion hits every little, you know, the greetings you say, assalamu alaikum, right? It has religious things. Uh, the festivals, everything has some touch on religion in these a lot of these Islamic cultures. So when you become a believer... You, it's like you have to either just run and hide in your room and never come out, or you have to figure out how to way to adapt these things that mm-hmm. make sense. Can that's probably another one. Can you greet people assalamu alaikum as a you know it's a, obviously a Muslim greeting or or respond wa alaikum assalam. 
Um, so and what do those mean real quick for um, me? Yeah. P- P- basically peace be upon you and also upon you, you know, that, uh, that's the reply. So, um, it actually comes from the, interestingly enough, the words, uh, Shalom, you know, okay. the, the origin is in there as well because Hebrew and Arabic are kind of cousin languages, Semitic languages. But, um, and so, you know, obviously we'd say to say peace be upon someone is a good thing. Uh, and to return that is also a good thing. Uh, so, and I, that was one that I felt okay to participate in because it, it really was a way to greet people and show respect and honor that if you tried to come up with some other thing or you just avoided doing, you were really at a disadvantage. And so it certainly has Islamic connotations, but it's not, I, I think it was something that you could overcome that element of it. Yeah. Within the biblically permissible. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I can really see where a guy could could uh, find himself just spinning in circles about which way to go and mm-hmm. what did I say about this? What about this? How do I do this? How did the and this was I was going to ask you this on the last one, but how did the basically how did the locals, maybe like the second generation believers, like how did they walk through it? Because I feel like that's a lot with for an outsider coming in. We want to try to help them help them come to Christ, but then often. You know, they far exceed us in in now really, really contextualizing it. Mm-hmm. What's it look like to obey Jesus in my context? What did they do with these things, or was it a mix? Definitely a mix. Um, if you have a, enough of a community around you, you can kind of create. It's sort of like what we do as Christians. We sort of have our Christian culture. And so I saw some cases where there, that little community of believers, I and mean, it may have been just, 20, 30 people, they kind of created their own culture and they really moved away from a lot of Islamic things. So they sort of separated themselves uh, in that way. And so they they celebrated Christmas maybe uh, or, and didn't celebrate Ramadan or some of these other things. Um, and even used, you know, moved away from Allah and some of these things. So that was one strategy. There was a lot of, honestly, because there were so few believers among the people group I worked with, and it was so costly to believe there was a lot of kind of secret, you know, I don't, my family doesn't even know that I'm a believer. And so kind of going on. Um, I mean, the other thing is getting married, right? If you are in a culture where you are extreme minority and you're in a culture where you have to get married, you know, there's no choice. There's you, mom and dad say it's time to get married. You get married. And so, you know, for believers, there's not a whole lot of other options out there. So they're like, should I just marry this Muslim woman or man? What should I do? Or should I, you know, just refuse my, I'm not getting married. I'm not going to do this until I can find a believer. It's hard, very, very difficult. So that's, we have a lot of um, personal choice in our society here. And, And so we can, you can get married, you can not get married. They both are acceptable. You can have kids, you can not have kids. They're both okay. But there's a lot of cultural conformity and pressure. And so when those things involve Islamic elements or marrying a Muslim or something, it's, it's very challenging. Yeah, we should probably, I feel like that's another whole podcast on like the, co- <laughs> the cost of following Jesus yes, as, a, it is. as a Muslim. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely different than the way I live my life. Um, I want to live in a way of which th- that says like no matter what it costs, I'm in. Um, but practically speaking, the bar is lower for me most of the time. 
uh, maybe all the time, but I still want to have that fervor. Um, what does that pretty well, does that wrap, did, did, we, did we solve all contextualization problems in the last? Probably not, <laughs> but we, I guess we got into a little more of the specifics. Um, I mean, the whole, the issue of what do they call them, what do I call myself, oh, mm-hmm. I'm now a Muslim background believer. Uh, I don't know if we really got into the nitty gritty of that. Um, like I said, there's some, on one extreme you have to say, hey, you can continue to call yourself a Muslim, that's okay. Uh, on the other extreme, you you know, adopting some, whatever their word is for Christian, you know, Christian is what would be where we were. And boy, that comes with all sorts of baggage as well. Uh, so uh, I think a lot of people were, my, my experience was a lot of people kind of found a middle ground. They had some term, um, uh, you know, a follower of Jesus or um, things like that. But then you had some people like, well, I'm a, you know, a, a Maasai believing Muslim or something, you know, some of these things are kind of straddled a little uh-huh. bit. Um, so that's for local believers. That's one thing for us coming in, what term would we use? And, and I, I tended to just come up, have a third term and explain it rather. I didn't want to use Christian. It was just too loaded. I felt like Muslim would really create misunderstanding. And so I didn't want to use that and, and was kind of out of bounds with our organization. So um, that's another another whole contextualization yeah. issue. If someone wanted to dive more into just like Muslim contextualization, do you have some books you would recommend, resources? Boy, they're out there off the top of my head. Um, so here's just, are we allowed to be honest on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of things that sort of Muslim apologetics things, that they kind of maybe masquerade as this is to help Muslims come to faith, but really they exist to make Christians feel better about ourselves. Oh. <laughs> so they like, you know, and so they don't really deal with these. They just deal with like why Muslim Islam is so bad and why Muhammad was a pedophile and all these kind of, you know, sound bites that we have that uh, to try to dismiss Islam. So I, there, I think there's a lack of good resources. We kind of created our own almost. We just sort of, had some documentation we would use, but I bet they're out there. I just can't think of anything off the top of my head with the Muslim contextualization. Yeah, there's always something to learn. Um, what we'll say is that if you want to know, call up here. <laughs> call can, our office. That's put, our answer to everything. You can put Brad on the spot and be like, I'm not hanging up this phone until you yeah. give me a name. Um, but we would, if, you, if that's something you want to know more about, and some of it, if maybe if we knew what country specific you were interested in, there might be some things we could do there. And let me preface all that as I'm not an expert on these topics. Uh, You know, I have my perspective and and it's limited in some ways. There's probably people that are way more articulate and understanding of these things. So this is my my experience and perspective. But yeah, keep find books, talk to people. There's there's good people out there. The the, really the Muslim world, we there's so much more engagement now than there ever was 20, 30 years ago. So that that means there's people with experience and and resources out there yeah well you're the expert in this room so uh, (laughs) (laughs) well we appreciate you guys being with us again uh we really appreciate you listening if you had a chance you could uh, give us a rating and a review on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen we'd appreciate that um brad what's uh someone to get more involved with one link what's the way they could jump in with us i think this time of year uh praying for teams we have, in fact, we put together a, 
a little document that has kind of all of our teams that we'll send out to people who want to pray. Um, these are the, this is the future of people are going to go out and figure out these contextualization issues and minister to Muslims. This is kind of the moment where they're getting their, their feet wet and such powerful things can happen on these trips. I've seen it both kind of heart level things and just seeing the mission of God and wanting to jump into that. So, uh, you know, you can either get on our social media platforms. We'll put prayer things out there or contact our office again. That's our go-to, right? Uh, we can connect you with how to pray for these teams as they're coming together. About 150 students this year. So that's a lot of potential life impact. Yeah. But if you're not getting those and you would like to, prayer is the currency of heaven. I think maybe someone said that one time. If not, I said it here and you heard me. Um, but get a hold of us and we would love to get that to you. Until next time. See you guys.